I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. My guest for today is Lucy Waldman. And I think you're all just gonna, your hearts are gonna grow so much from hearing her talk. Lucy is a beautiful soul who published parts of her journal because she wanted to see something positive out in the world about eating disorder recovery instead of so much just about eating disorders. So, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So again, really beautiful soul. And I think you're all really going to enjoy this episode. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. My guest for today is Lucy Waldman. Lucy, welcome to the show. Hi, so glad to be here. I'm thrilled to have you, Lucy. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and why you're here on the show, (laughs) if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Lucy. I'm fully recovered from my own eating disorder. And I decided last year to publish a book featuring a lot of my insights into my recovery. And I'm here because I really love to share my experience and I've found a lot of power and sharing. And it's been a huge part of my healing process. And outside of the recovery community, I work a lot in the Jewish community. I am a teacher on the weekends and I work at a Jewish overnight camp. Mm, It all sounds wonderful. It all sounds great. We're going to get to your book in a moment, but I think, Lucy, where I would like to start, something that you wrote in your paperwork, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were labeled as chronic. Is that correct? Yes. The, The reason why I bring that up is because I'm wondering a few things. What does that do to somebody's, you know, already pretty low morale about the recovery process? Because speaking from my experience, I wasn't psyched to go through the recovery process. So then if somebody labeled me chronic, I don't know how that would, what what kind of an impact that would have. And also just what are your thoughts about that label? I definitely felt very hurt being labeled that way. And I felt I came after a bunch of times like going through treatment and it being not successful. But the thing is, it was blamed on me. And I think sometimes it's like, it can be 
easy for professionals to be like, oh, it's just you. You're the problem. You're just a chronic case. But I think the issue with that is it's an illness and it's not necessarily a choice. And calling someone chronic or treatment dependent doesn't actually help their recovery. For me, when I got labeled as chronic, I sort of had this like thought of why bother trying? Like, why am I even trying to go through treatment? And the sort of idea that I had about myself that I was just like too defective to recover. You know, it's so interesting because just today I was talking to another program and I have a client who's currently in a program and she's been there a number of times. And we're talking about the fact that is this the right program? for this client. And what I said to the team was, it's not that there's anything wrong with the client and it's not that there's anything wrong with the with the center. It, this is not a good fit. Either that or the client just needs something different. If somebody keeps going back and they keep struggling, what is being missed? It's not that they're chronic. It's that they need something different different. Did anyone ever talk to you like that? Like, just like Lucy, let's find something different. No, actually I was the one to say at my last residential stay almost two years ago that I needed something different because I remember to were debating whether I should do PHP after residential or go an outpatient. And I had tried PHP a couple of times and I was the one to say that I wanted to try something different. And I knew from my recovery that like doing something different was the thing that I needed. Yeah. So what did you end up doing that was different? I created an outpatient team at home. And so I went home right after residential, which I know is not necessarily the recommended path. But I started in residential to do a lot of like solo snacks and exposures on my own and sort of getting the feeling of what it would mean to take on my meal plan. And I sort of worked up towards the idea of being home when I knew what like came along with it. And I just felt like the sense of if I do this differently, I will prove to you that this is what is going to work for me. It's so funny. It's like, uh, I feel like we're in this, this, this this funny place where everything you're talking about is something similar that I'm going through with a client right now where again clients at treatment she's concerned that she's being treated the same way she has every past stay there and what i said to her was you have to show them though that you're going to do it differently this time and how are you going to show up differently so it is on self to say, I'm going to do this a different way. So what was it? Did you get, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pushback when you told your, you know, your treatment team, the residential program that you weren't going to continue on through PHP and IOP? I definitely did get some pushback, but I was fortunate that the therapist I had in residential was a counselor at a previous treatment center I had gone to, and she knew the PHP didn't work for me. Number one, I don't have a PHP in my hometown. I live in a treatment desert, 
And so in order to go to PHP, I would first have to transition to either transitional living and then transition home. And as someone who doesn't deal well with transitions, it would be actual transitions for me. And at first I got backlash, but I think very quickly my therapist has told me, let's figure out a way to make this work. And sort of and we sort of set my treatment plan up for the fact that I would be going home afterwards. You wrote this really beautiful book and it's called The Jots of Becoming. And I'd like for you to, first of all, explain the title for everyone. And second of all, let's get a little bit into the book because that's how I got introduced to you was through this this journaling that you published. So how did you come up with the title? I came up with a title through a lot of the work I had done in recovery. I'd realized that there's a one part of recovery that's just like the physical restoration. And what a lot of treatment centers emphasize of like restoring your health, restoring your weight. And I never resonated like that didn't feel like a complete message for recovery to me. And so when I started doing a lot of the work with my recovery coach, I realized that recovery was this whole becoming that recovery wasn't just going back to a state you once were, it was literally becoming this whole new person. And so I really knew from the get-go, I wanted to use the word becoming in my, um, because I really believe that recovery is a becoming. And I came up with jots because I used to call my journal entries every morning. I journaled so much when I was going through recovery, thoughts and jots. And so I took the word jots and I liked the fact that it was like quick jot down. And because a lot of it for me was like quick jot down. Like I had these like transformational thoughts as I was either like driving home from an appointment. I mean, I didn't write them as I was driving home from an appointment. I waited till I got home to do that. Or um, just like on a walk with my family and then I would come back and write them. And they sort of became these brain dumps. And when I read them back, I realized that some of those could be helpful to other people. And that's how I started started the publishing process. What was it like taking all of this and saying, here are my inner thoughts. This is my journal. And I want to publish it for anyone to, to read. I definitely was nervous about that. Not as much for strangers, but more so people that were really close to me. Seeing like how I felt about like my body and my recovery. And I think there is a sense that, especially in my family, everything's like tied up and like a neat, that everything needs to be neat and people need to be put together constantly. And like feelings aren't something that are really discussed much. So for me, putting all of it into the world, I was, I definitely was nervous and I was inspired too, because a lot of the books where people put their thoughts into the world about eating disorders that I had read during my recovery weren't entirely helpful to me. I felt like I read so many of them that were just like, here are my thoughts about every single food I ate and every behavior I performed and I'm going to let you know into the inner workings of someone who has an eating disorder and put that out there. 
And I realized that there weren't really any books. And here are the thoughts of someone who's going through recovery and actively trying to fight their eating disorder. And I wanted to put something out into the world that could actually like help people see a different way of thinking of recovery versus like just being stuck in like this echo chamber of eating disorder thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, my next question is, Lucy, will you share with the listeners, you wrote two poems that absolutely blew me out of the water. And correct me if I'm not saying it properly, if you, when you read it one way, it is, uh, it is about your eating disorder and then if you take the exact same poem and read it backwards, it's about recovery. Did I say that correctly? Yes. I got the inspiration from the like, challenge of like have you doing treatment where you have a healthy self-statement and then you have your eating disorder statement. And I just thought it would be really cool to put them next to each other because I feel like one way forwards and one way backwards is I feel like a lot of the time the thoughts can coexist at once in the beginning, although it feels like they are fighting each other. So how do you feel about reading these two poems? Because they're beautiful. I love reading them. Great. Okay. So again, I want listeners to remember everything that Lucy is saying the first time is going to be about being in the eating disorder. And then she's going to say the exact same thing, but in reverse, and it's going to come out in a recovery tone. So go ahead, Lucy. I am disappearing, and I refuse to believe that there is hope. Even in the darkest moments, I know I won't be anything if I'm not then. I resent that thought that recovery is possible and that I'm a capable human being. Because as far as I know, I'm a failure and I cannot believe that I'm more than my weight, size, and reflection. And then it backwards, I am more than my weight, size, and reflection. I cannot believe that I'm a failure because as far as I know, I'm a capable human being and that recovery is possible. I resent the thought that I won't be anything if I'm not thin. I know that even at darkest moments, there is hope. And I refuse to believe that I am disappearing. Lucy, I I want you to I want you to read the next one just because they're they're so powerful and and I I'm hoping that like I hope listeners are not driving I hope they're closing their eyes and really seeing the one way and then reverse. Go ahead, do the other one. I am powerless and I cannot believe that recovery is a gift and I feel that I am not as capable as others. My eating disorder has gone on for too long, and so I can't state that I've made positive changes. Because as far as I know, I am stuck this way, and I can't believe that full recovery is possible. Full recovery is possible. And I can't accept that I am stuck this way, because as far as I know, I've made positive changes. So I can't state that my eating disorder has gone on for too long, and I'm not as capable as others. And I feel that recovery is a gift, and I cannot believe that I am powerless. So first of all, this goes to show that you can take one situation and look at it from an eating disorder voice or a healthy voice. And by the way, whichever way you look at it, 
is the direction your energy is going to go in. So Lucy, if you read that poem and stopped at the first one, you would have stayed in an eating disorder thought, which would have led to eating disorder behaviors. When you turn it around and read it from the recovery side, it puts you in a recovery thought, having your next movement do something recovery focused. Same words, just a different way. What what are your thoughts about that? That's powerful. I read one like that and I remember thinking how powerful it was that you can change the way you're thinking and it can create different like behavior patterns. But I think putting the two thoughts like next to each other or repeating them wasn't as like helpful for me. Like p- having the same words say the exact opposite message really showed me that I can like make a difference and a differences can happen like just by a tone or by doing it the opposite way. And I think it really goes to show the power of opposite action and recovery of when you feel like doing a disordered behavior, doing the exact opposite. It it was really remarkable. Did how long did those two take you to write? Which by the way, I don't even know why I'm asking that, but I just I'm curious because they're just powerful I think like 20 minutes to half an hour (laughs) I love creative people it would it would take me days so do you feel that journaling is something that really helped you through the process because I'm I know that journaling is not for everyone not everybody goes to the same coping skill but I do know that it's a really important one what are your thoughts about it I found it really helpful once I learned how to utilize it like for recovery. I remember um, my therapist actually telling me that if you just journal your eating disorder thoughts and you don't refute them, you just like have a brain dump of just like all your disordered thoughts, it actually reinforces them. But I took up creative journaling because it got me in a practice of like thinking in something in a different way. And at I realized I made more progress as I like start integrating recovery thoughts whenever I had a disordered thought. I think journaling can be really powerful, but I also feel like it requires more work than just like the brain dump. Yeah. It's an active thing that you're doing, right? I know that you also did some writing in there about being Jewish and having an eating disorder. And as you know, I am Jewish and, you know, you and I were talking before, before the recording and I said, would you speak to Judaism and eating disorders? And you very humbly said, I cannot speak for all Jewish people, which I agree, neither can I, but What was your experience? Did religion play a part in the eating disorder? Did religion play a part in the recovery? A little bit of both? I think it definitely played a little bit of both. I have a difficult time like knowing like what was religion and also what was just like the community because I know in my town, the Jewish community is a very tight-knit community and they were... The Jumai Jewish community was the hardest group of people to actually open up to because I felt they had known me for so long, like probably since I was like two years old. And I couldn't like imagine like telling them I had an eating disorder. And I also felt like there was so much like 
stigma that I had to be like a leader and the put together one in the community. And I felt I couldn't show any vulnerability. I think that religion played a sense in the fact that there is like fasting holidays and Passover, which just passed, um, does have dietary restrictions. And additionally, I think sometimes um, clergy without meaning to, like these clergy are like rabbis and cantors are people. I have heard my rabbi before talk about like dieting as like a mitzvah in her um, like sermon, like on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. And like eating is something to atone for the year. And I think I definitely internalize those messages. And like I said, I don't blame the rabbi at all. Because I think everyone has an internalized sense of diet culture. And I think the Jewish community is not like immune to that. And I definitely think it helped my recovery in the sense that I definitely, I didn't realize I had a problem exactly or like I was in denial about my eating disorder until I worked at my overnight camp in 2018. I had just gotten out of high school. I was really struggling with my eating disorder. And I didn't realize like how much it would impact my ability to work at the camp. I definitely felt feel like if it wasn't for my camp friends and my camp community, I would have sought treatment or I would have um, tried to start recovery. And they were a huge motivator going back. Like going back to my camp job was a huge motivator in recovering because I knew that I had to be in a good place to get to go back. But I know I knew like I know now that recovery is so much more than you can't just be like recovery is this goal and that's it. But I definitely think it was a great launching point for me. Well, I think what it did was it you found something in your life that even if it was just a minuscule, it was that much more important than the eating disorder. Your being a camp counselor was a little bit more important than the eating disorder was. So that's a phenomenal thing. Like I always say to clients, let's work with that. That that means why is that more important? What do you get out of being a camp counselor? What is it that you can't get from your eating disorder that you get from this? So it doesn't matter what it is. It's just something to grasp onto that is other than the eating disorder. I think for me, what I got from it that was more was the sense of community that I used to think with my eating disorder, if I had my eating disorder, I wouldn't need anything else. And when I went to camp and I was in this job, I realized how much the sense of community meant to me. And it was one of the first times in my life I had felt like I had friends that understood me. And were so nice, like kind and compassionate to me while I was struggling that I thought I knew it sucked so much of, of my experience. And I think it was one of the first times I realized I could have more than just like a small life with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering, and, and I think I read this in your book, that my experience was when I when I was 
at my sickest, my parents weren't sure what to do during the holidays and said to the rabbi, what do we do? Does she fast for the holidays? She's got an eating disorder. And the rabbi said, nothing comes above someone's physical health. That is what she needs to focus on. What was your experience, Lucy? I don't think, I never went to a rabbi and asked specifically, what do I do? I just didn't have that relationship with my rabbi and neither did my family. And I think for me, I try to rely more on my treatment team. And one of the roadblocks that I ran into is them saying, oh, this is just your eating disorder. And I think that takes away from like the religious like meaning of it. I came to the conclusion that the meaning was a more important thing and that struggling with an eating disorder and fasting would actually bring me closer to the eating disorder and further away from like the meaning of the holiday. And what helped me was journaling about like how, like if I fasted, like what would the holiday be like for me? And I realized it wouldn't be a meaningful fast. Like I know in Yom Kippur, you wish everyone a meaningful fast. The fast for me would be, Something I knew from my past was just going to send me further into my eating disorder. Or um, my first Yom Kippur recovery, I had just got out of treatment. And I knew that there was no, I didn't want to risk all that came with fasting for one day to, and the possibility that it might cause a relapse when my recovery was so vulnerable. And what helped me actually was researching, like, what do holidays actually mean? I think sometimes, like, even religious communities, they get caught up with, like, the diet culture aspect of the holiday. Or the, I I fasted for X amount of hours. And so going back to, like, the origins of what it meant and then figuring out how my recovery could be part of that like for instance one of the first one I wrote on Yom Kippur is about atonement on apologizing to so many people that I like my relationship was impaired with because of my eating disorder did you get any pushback from anybody about the fact that you were choosing basically recovery first above anything. So, you know, it's so beautiful that you did the research, Lucy, to really understand like, what are the holidays about? And the fact that you were so honest with yourself that like, why would I actually be fasting? What What's the motivation or intention behind it? Did you get any pushback from any family or friends or were they completely supportive of this or did they not understand? I am really grateful that almost all my friends were really supportive. And the only pushback I got is I remember being in treatment for Tisha B'Av and there was another Jewish client and she asked like, how do you feel comfortable like eating today when it's a fasting holiday? And I sort of was like, we're in treatment. It's not like you can't, you can't just not eat one day in residential treatment. And she like said something like, oh, I'm surprised you 
like feel so comfortable with it. And I, that was like the only experience of pushback I had. And for me, I just, I did, it made me feel like guilty and worse, but I sort of realized that like there'd be no point. I didn't want to jeopardize my treatment. And because not eating residential would just be a day of like, a day of torture, but with like, because you still have to sit through all the meals and then sit through the supplement. And I realized that it was, it's in the moment. It felt like my, like the Jewish holiday was not as important as my treatment. And also the fact that one part of my story I don't share as often is I had a lot of medical complications from my eating disorder. So I didn't want to risk anything happen. You know, I'm I'm sorry that you had so many medical complications. I I think that people think it'll happen to others and not themselves. And it sounds like it was really difficult for you. Thank you. I I agree with that. I feel like with medical complications, you always think like, oh, it's not that bad. Like you read about it and you're like, oh, that could never happen to me f- for whatever reason. And I didn't even realize like when I had the most medical complications, it was after a relapse out of treatment. And I was like, oh, but my relapse wasn't that long. I was like, I was only out of treatment for this amount of time. And my dietitian saying to me, it wasn't just this time. It's the cumulative nature of all the years you have been in your eating disorder. And that's when I finally realized like, it doesn't matter, like, how, like, it's not a matter, like, how bad it was or a weight or anything that, like, medical complications, like, can happen. And I definitely feel like it is something that needs to be talked about, like, a lot more, especially given the rise of this past year of glamorization of eating disorders, like, rising again. Is wait, what? There's a rise in glamorizing eating disorders? On TikTok, there is. I don't know if that's been, um, and people making like more lighthearted, like videos about eating disorders. And what stood out to me about that was like eating disorders like, can cause so much damage. And I don't even think people realize it. These people think, oh, that. It only happens to like this percentage of people and it's not it like it can happen at like any time. I know for me, medical complications were a huge reason I um, persevered with recovery. So I was told that if I didn't um, like step forward into recovery, that I couldn't go back. Going back to my eating disorder wasn't an option and that the next relapse could kill me. I, I kind of want to stick with this thing that you said, because I, I'm not a big social media person. So I'm like, what? So did social media play a role in your eating disorder? And correct me if I'm wrong, you yourself are on Instagram in a pro recovery way. So how do you see that social media has impacted people that are struggling? And I'll start with that. I feel like it's changed so much and it hasn't at the same time. I started struggling 
when I was 13 years old and Tumblr was what was like big at that time. And I definitely remember like being in the back of my English class, like looking at like Finspo and Pro Anna because that was just so prevalent at the time. And I just thought that was completely normal. And then I felt like social media started cracking down again and being like, this is a huge problem. And it died down for a while. And then I remember, I think sometimes um, like even meme culture of trying to make like everything so lighthearted and like making jokes about eating disorders for a while, social media did impact me in a negative way. And until I stopped following all the people that I could be like triggered by, and it was something that was really intentional. Like I sort of limited like what con- content I saw and where I went. And that's why I um, like gravitated towards Instagram. Instagram is one of the main ones where you, you pretty much see things from only people you follow. If you don't follow someone, you don't really see their content. And so that was helpful to me because I started following a lot of therapists and positive, like, pro-recovery accounts. And I have learned so much from them. And I have gained such a community that has definitely carried me through my recovery. I... Literally some of my like best friends I have met on um, Instagram and the recovery community. Lucy, I cannot help but point out that you are the definition and, and forgive me, I don't mean to be like, you're the poster child, but when we say to people, recovery work is hard, it's a lot of work. What the way you looked at your recovery this last time, let's also say it wasn't always like this for you. It wasn't. You were so active in your recovery process. You know, it is not easy in this day and age to not be on social media. We said, I say to clients all the time, it is not your friend. And I'm going to highly encourage you take yourself off of it or stop looking at it. It's really hard. You actively said, I'm not going to look at it. And I'm only going to look at things that I know, like you said on Instagram, that I'm subscribing to. You know, you did research around the holidays of what the holidays are like and what what's the meaning and all this stuff. And you know, this is, and and by the way, I'm not like giving you a gold star and being like, you did recovery, right? So please, everybody hear me. But what I am pulling from this is recovery is a lot of work. And your narrative of it at, you know, again, the last time you you did it is evidence that if you work hard, you will recover. Do you have any thoughts about I definitely um, noticed that myself, that recovery required. That I feel like there's so much in diet culture, like talk about willpower and discipline. Like, oh, it's willpower and discipline to like restrict your food. I realized though that recovery required like so much like 
work, discipline. I felt like it was a nonstop like job. And because of that, I took off a lot of school, almost two years of college for just like focusing on my recovery because I noticed in high school, I was in a really competitive high school. I don't know if you know like what the International Baccalaureate program is. I I do not, but please, I'm sure mo- I'm sure others do. But can you explain that? It's basically it's like it's almost like advanced placement like classes, but it, it's taking college level classes like in high school. But the classes instead of being more based on tests are based more on like reading a lot, writing a lot of papers, and the point of international baccalaureate is it's supposed to be to an international standard so you could basically go to college like anywhere in the world and you've had like the highest like education and all I have to say was I don't know like how effective it was at that but I had from like ninth or 12th grade I had almost six hours of homework that night I went to school like from seven to two and then I had after school activities and then I came home and did homework and I developed an eating disorder before I even got to high school. So for me, I felt like I just didn't, even if I wanted to recover, I, I kept telling myself I didn't have the time to recover. I was like, how do I make time to go to appointments And I was like, if I go to appointments, that means I can't go to this club or I can't go or I'm losing an hour of homework. And I just kept like telling myself like recovery wasn't worth it because I was too time consuming. So for me, I knew if I wanted to recover, I would have to make it such a high priority. And I think it's interesting when you think about like, like other people who are struggling like with eating disorders, they've had like the same type of thought of like, I can't go to treatment now, for instance, because I have to finish the semester. I and this like putting recovery off before school, I think has become very commonplace. And I knew like in order to not run into that, that I just needed to take the equation out of school entirely until I was in a good place. I didn't go back to being a full-time student until after I was declared in remission. How, how did you, mm, let me, let me think about this. Well, what, what feedback would you give to somebody? Because, you know, I, I also remember again, using my own experience. Well, that's good for you, Lucy, but I'm different. You know, that whole mentality, like in an eating disorder, well, they can do that, but I, I can't. I can't take time off. I don't like what, what would you say? I um, think it's such a good point because I I would have said the same thing to my like 17 year old self that I'm different. I can't take that much time off school. And I think some of the feedback I would give is you're not going to forget how to be a student. You can, it's something you can relearn again. And it can be so important to step back to realize that it's not your only identity. It's not the only thing you have going for you. And that even I think it's easy to say like, oh, I can go to classes and make time for 
eating and it's great if you can. But I think one thing I didn't realize is it's not just like eating the meals that makes recovery. It's all like for me, it was all the journal writing, all the time I like spent making sure for my meals. Did I have this things I needed to meet my meal plan? I'm really staying on top of everything. Like, do I have time emotionally to challenge my thoughts? Because if you're always studying, then I realized I didn't have the time to even address my thoughts. Again, you you really chose to do the hard work. So it's it's unbelievable. Tell me a little bit about your Instagram page. I originally started my Instagram page um, as just like updates. At some point I switched, I think it was a little over a year ago, putting like creative writing on my Instagram. And then that's sort of when I started to gain like traction. And then all of a sudden, like the more I saw other people's posts, I started to think about my own ideas of recovery. And it's really been such a space for me to grow and change. And I love feeling like I'm making a difference in other people's recoveries. Like I want to be a clinician myself, but it's such a cool way to connect with people who are like struggling and really like see people when people message me, even things like I decided to eat X food because I saw your post and it inspired me not to skip this meal. It like warms my heart so much because I just, I know how isolating recovery can feel. And I don't want people to feel so isolated in the process. I think it's hard on Instagram not to get caught up in like the algorithm and like how many likes am I getting? And, and I've had to learn how to separate myself from that. And like go back to like, why did I create this? Why did I start? And like, what am I getting out of it that's so meaningful? And also allowing it not to be the only thing in my life that I get it meaning out of. My, I, I don't mean to go into a negative place, but have you gotten any feedback from your Instagram or your book? Because that, oh, well, I'll finish saying, any feedback that was negative or critical or judgmental because it's one thing to write fiction and have people be like, meh, it's not that good. But to write something that's from your heart, from an experience is incredibly, it can be gratifying and it can also leave you in a very vulnerable place. How has that been? I think one of the feedback I got on my Instagram that I hadn't really thought of, but has actually helped me, is that I needed to do a better job of acknowledging my privilege when discussing the recovery experience, which at first I, it was hard for me to wrap my head around because I spent so many years on like my eating disorder. I had never even thought about like privilege or marginalization or any, like, I, and once I like realized I was, it's part of privilege that I just like, did, it didn't occur to me. And I also 
realize I have a lot of my elements in my story that were marginalized or weren't privileged and like balancing both of those. And so I do now put disclaimers and it is something I definitely like work on doing, like doing. And I think the main criticism I got on my book was because I did self-publish it. There was like maybe a few little grammar things here and there, um, a little typo here and there. And I realized that, yes, they like, that was like something that I definitely worked on. And the thing about Amazon is you can keep going back. And if you do find a grammar mistake in your book, you can fix it and then re-put it back up there. And then that doesn't solve the problem of people who got in previous versions of the book. But the point is, I realized that it doesn't take away from the meaning of my book. And again, these were my like thoughts. These were my, and it's not, like recovery is not supposed something that's supposed to be like so squeaky clean and perfect. And it just more is a symbol of how recovery is a work in progress and healing is a work in progress and like all like that. So it's my book. Lucy, I I am so sad to say that we're gonna have to start wrapping this up. But what I do wanna say is that it has been a pleasure and an honor to be sitting with you. You're very articulate, you're insightful, and you speak from the heart. And and that's that's really big for me. And I've I just really want to say thank you before I, I go into my final question. Thank you. I'm so glad I got to be here. It's it's been lovely. Is there anything that I didn't ask? that you would like to sh- it like that you would like to share before we go into our final question or anything that you wanted to say that I didn't touch on. I don't think so. Okay. Lucy, your final question is if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? I've definitely thought a lot about this question. And if I just sum it up, that um, you, you don't know, like, when you ask a question to me, what you're going to get. And I think that's the best way to sum it up. You don't know if you're going to get this articulate, insightful response, or knowing me, a Grey's Anatomy reference, or a clever pun or joke that I have many different sides to me. And just so you never know what you're going to get. And that's what makes me me. Lucy Waldman, that's what makes you you. And I love it. I absolutely love it. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week.